Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. A couple weeks ago, I don't know, maybe it was three weeks ago now, I was at the B2B Marketing Exchange Conference in Arizona, and I ran into someone, and that person is Nancy Narden, and she is on the podcast today. And the reason I asked Nancy to join me is I think I found my alter ego, a female alter ego version of Dave, and that's going to make a whole lot more sense in just a minute. But first, Nancy, welcome to the program. How are you? Thanks, David. I'm fantastic, and I'm excited to be here. And yes, it feels like you are my brother from another mother. I feel the same way, my sister. So, so good to have you on the program. Let me just share with you, if you guys didn't read the podcast description. So, Nancy is really into sales technology, just like I'm passionate about marketing technology. And as we got to know each other over the last couple of weeks, it's unbelievable how it's almost like there's alternate universes. There's so much that we have in common in our career stories, but literally down two paths. One, the path of sales tech, and one, the path of MarTech. So Nancy, founder and CEO of Smart Selling Tools, can I just ask you, how'd you get into sales tech? I don't think we started there, and I would love to know the backstory. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I like telling people that my my career and my background is in sales. So I've carried a bag. I know what that's like. I've I've earned my living. I've paid my mortgage based on whether or not I you know did a good job. Uh, and I started in sales in uh, the early '80s in Silicon Valley, working for a startup called Grid Systems. And Grid Systems is the world's first true laptop computer in its current form, right? Where the where the display comes down over the keyboard. Everyone's kind of heard of different types of you know early computers, but Grid was the very first laptop, and we had to figure out how the heck we were going to get people to buy a laptop computer. First of all, you had to explain what it was, and then you had to explain why you might want one, especially since at the time, thinking back to the early '80s. Uh, there was still question whether or not and who needed a PC on their desk and whether or not everyone should have a PC or just certain people should have a PC. So it was a completely uh, different time. And it was before CRM and it was before different sales, field sales, mobile sales um, applications came out. So there was no concept of a digital slideshow yet. Uh, the concept of a PowerPoint that was did, was not invented yet. So we had to come up with our own applications uh, and sell it to field sales organizations in hopes that they would, you know, want to buy a whole bunch of them to equip their sales organizations. And that's how I got started in technology and have been interested in technology ever since and just got the got the bug and it never went away. It's amazing. Just even you hear describe some of those things. Again, I look at these parallel universes. So you worked for Grid Systems, and I know Alan Lefkoff was at yeah. Grid Systems. And was he the chief marketing officer at the time when you he were was. there? What was his, He was. Yes, he so, was. So mm -hmm. he was actually my CEO at another company uh, when I was the head of marketing. So again, crazy. <laughs> I learned a lot from Alan. He was a very demanding and very driven 
uh, CEO. I'm not sure how he was as a, as a head of marketing, but I'm forever grateful that he and Ken Lamnick gave me this opportunity to run marketing at Fairlawn, which later became Natopia. And he often talked about grid systems. And, you know, yeah. I also prior to that worked for Bill Gates and Bill and I had dinner one time and he always shared his vision on there's got to be a computer on every desktop. And now we all have supercomputers in our hands, but you were working on the first ones that uh, people carried around. They were big back then. These were not yeah. uh, portables, yeah. although we call them that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just on that, I mean, they uh, certainly they're smaller in size. I mean, if think about a laptop that was about three inches thick. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, three inches th- thick, and it was a magnesium encased. That was always a big selling point made it rugged, right? But yep. in reality, it made it weigh, weigh a ton. Yeah. Um, but there was not the technology to shrink things down. So you're dealing with a big, very big, heavy laptop that, in fact, had a handle on it so that you could just, you know, extend, the, pull the handle out and yeah. carry it like a suitcase. And that was one of the big design criteria or decisions later on was, can we get rid of the handle and now, of course, you don't even think about having a laptop with a handle on it. No, not anymore. Maybe a briefcase or backpack to throw it in, but certainly not uh-huh. a not a handle on it. That'd be crazy. So you mentioned that you know, back in the day, there wasn't like there is CRM today. Certainly nothing was in the cloud, uh, and you guys were cobbling together CRM tools. What was it like back then in terms of sales people adopting CRM? Because that's still a massive challenge uh, today was it any was it any different or any easier back then? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I I don't think there was as much of an adoption problem back then, and maybe it's because the only people that were using it were the ones that were kind of leading edge uh, adopters anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and so that wasn't really an issue. What was an issue was figuring out how are you going to stay connected? Because remember, there was no. You know, it was not like you could go from one cell tower to the other without it being interrupted. Right. Yeah. And and so there were a lot of issues like that. But I, I do find it interesting that even today, so that was the early 80s. So we've had CRM for 30 to 35 years now. And to me, CRM is just the main foundation that you need before you start adding things to it so that you get the extra functionality that you need. And yet... Even after three decades, people are still thinking of only CRM when you mention sales tools. Right. That that's what what I find interesting today. It's very different from the Martech space where marketing understands that there are a lot of tools and they've got to be savvy about them and figure out which ones are the right ones to use. Not so much on the sales side yet. No. And so you know, how did you when you started Smart Selling Tools? What was the trigger that had you realize that there were now all these sales enablement tools and technologies and you wanted to help create visibility for them for various mm. sales leaders and reps? How did that come about? Yeah, so um, well, I've always been very entrepreneurial. I think in sales, a lot of salespeople are. They like We like to work independently. We think of our territory as our own business. and And I always did really well. So at some point, Let's see. Let me also fast forward a little bit because I didn't always sell grid computers, right? So I moved on to working for analyst firms and I learned the analyst side of the business and how important it is to offer good research and thought leadership on different subjects. 
And so when it came time for me to say, hey, it's it's time for me to do my own thing and to really step out, uh, I I thought, gosh, what can I do that brings together my background, my skill sets, and brings value to the marketplace? And that's always the tough question, right? What, what's going to be helpful for the market? And this was nine years ago when I started Smart Selling Tools, and if I, if you can know that today people are still just thinking about CRM nine years ago, they certainly were still thinking just about CRM. So I was a little early to the, to the market, but it was an inter, it was of interest to me. So I decided, Hey, what can I do to make sure that we got, I can help educate the end user community about all the different technologies that are available that can really make a difference and an impact on, on revenue generation. Well, we got started around the same time, actually. We were just a little bit before you. So Demand Gen was started in, in 2007, and that really came about because marketing automation was really starting to get a lot of traction um, in the marketplace, and we were finding that people were just batch and blasting with it. They weren't really using it for all the, the power and capabilities. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, Mar you know, fast forward 10 years later, there's thousands of different MarTech uh, tools out there. The... Um, Interesting thing that we found, and I'm curious to know your perspective, is marketers are always seem to be struggling with CRM adoption. So if we want to deploy things like lead scoring and other sales enablement tools to sales, there's always a concern around adoption. Even if it's a very powerful tool, what's it going to be like for sales to adopt? What, what's your perspective um, around the sales tools that uh, you're familiar with and are, are getting used uh, across your clients? Well, the, the, the adoption is still a huge issue, and we're talking about a, oh, what, uh, $15 billion issue, because I think CRM is about a $30 billion industry, and there's about a 50% uh, kind of adoption issue, <laughs> and that hasn't changed yet, and I think the big reason is because Nobody has offered up to salespeople a really good reason why they should be spending more of their time entering and logging data into CRM right. than, than just their, whatever system would normally work for them. Right. I mean, just think about spreadsheets. Right? Some people still, spreadsheets are fine for a lot of things. If you want a call list, you got a call list. That's easy to do. So simple is easy. CRM is not a productivity tool. It requires more of a sales rep's time than it gives, it, gives them back. Yep. And so um, that's been the big problem. That's why we have to think in terms of what's going to actually help a salesperson do their job and not slow them down, work within the way that they want to work, work within their nor normal natural workflow rather than the other way around. And so I think what you're starting to see is some solutions like Alono that will automatically populate a CRM or a database, if you will, with the natural activities that a salesperson does. So if I pick up my cell phone and I dial someone, then that automatically gets logged into CRM. If I have an appointment, that information also gets logged in because it, it grabs it from my calendar um, or grabs it from my email. We need the system to work for the salesperson rather than the other way around. We should not be manually inputting things. And we're still kind of doing that today. So people are right to worry about adoption, but they're not, they, but, but they need to do something about it rather than just say, well, it's a problem. Let's just make sure we 
sales reps do it or else, or else, right? The carrot and the stick thing. Absolutely. The less friction the tool, the better. And you just brought up a good example of a tool that, you know, anything that automates data entry and provides it in a frictionless way is going to be um, adopted and valued by sales. Uh, mm-hmm. The tools that enable you, like when you send an email, to have that you know automatically entered to the CRM without having to do like a BCC into mm-hmm. your CRM is appreciated. If you're engaging with, like you said, meetings or emails, and there's contacts that you're communicating with that are not in the CRM to automatically create those contacts, those type of tools really become rapidly adopted because of the value that, that they provide. How many, you know, in the MarTech landscape, we're often quoted uh, around 2017 timeframe that there's 5,000 plus tools. How many sales tech tools are out there that, that you're tracking? Uh, there's close to 600 if you don't count CRM solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we don't have the CRM solutions on our landscape. I don't know. It's a personal opinion. I mean, I want people to focus on other tools. So that's why I've gone ahead and not put the CRMs on a landscape. Sure. But even so, there's, there's about 600. So it's about a tenth of the size of the MarTech space. So I got to ask, are you familiar with a guy by the name of Scott Brinker? Oh, of course. Okay. Right. I just yeah. had, I, just, I was wondering because I'm like, there's so many parallels between you and Scott in terms of uh-huh. tracking the the landscape. Big fan of Scott. Known him for a long time. Going to be at his conference coming up uh, pretty okay. soon. And Fantastic. When, when you look at the various categories of, of sales technologies, are those uh, the number of categories growing as well? Or is it the number of tools within the categories that's primarily growing? Uh, good question. Uh, the the number of categories is growing as well, um, and or shifting, right? I think it's kind of like a lava lamp. These categories are coming together and you know morphing into other categories. Uh, right now, there are forty three categories of sales solutions on our landscape, and then within there, each of those categories are um, you know make up the five hundred some odd tools. So, for instance, there's you know, there's some companies that say, hey, we have a, an AI solution. Why don't you have an AI category? Well, to me, AI is not a, is, is a technology. It's, it's how you do something. It's not the right. tool itself. And so, oh, I've got an AI. Great. What does it do? Um, and, 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 and that's where you need the additional information. So we don't have an AI category, but we have tools that make use of AI. Um, and, and we will continue to change the categories as needed, but the main thing from my view is how do you categorize the categories? And I know okay. that sounds crazy, but um, really want to give people a sense of how do, you, how do you work with the landscape? If there's 500 of them and 43 categories, then where do you start? Right. And where you start is with the most important function in sales, which is who do you sell to and why? Why are you selling to them and why are they good? Why would they be good prospects for you? Why are you spending time on them? Are they going to buy? I still get a whole bunch of phone calls from solution providers for tools that I, I will never buy because I'm not a prospect for it. So that means there's a whole lot of sales reps calling people that are in the same boat. That's a waste. That's a crime. And so you definitely need to have technology that's going to help you identify your total available market and your ideal customer profile and those sorts of things. And if you look at tools outside of that, before you have that figured out, 
then it's a waste of money because you're going to be wasting a lot of effort selling to the wrong people. So that's the first step is look at the technologies in the who to sell to and why master category, if you will, and make sure that you've got that nailed before you move further downstream in the value chain. That's great advice. I got a question for you about um, who buys these tools. So in my experience, sales typically doesn't have a line item for infrastructure. You know, marketing marketing didn't either years ago. We had all kind of our programs budget and headcount budget. And then over the years, more and more uh, marketers have line items for marketing infrastructure operations and such. Uh, is there a similar trends on the sales side? Are you seeing any changes there? And uh, again, I'm wondering, like, who's paying for this stuff? You yeah, are. who's okay. paying for it is a really good question. And the answer is there isn't any one job role at, at, across the industry that's paying for it. Uh, right now, sales leadership has a little bit of responsibility for tools, but the budget tends to be, hey, how can we come up with budget or who's going to pay for it? You know, it's a mad scramble. Uh, sales ops has a little bit of budget for tools. Sales enablement is where we're starting to see a lot more of the budget reside, but still sales enablement is much more focused on its how it originated, which is providing the right content to the fields, product marketing content, et cetera, and then making sure that they're trained on messaging. That's still kind of traditionally the sales enablement, but there's a lot of tools that go beyond that. So when that happens, whose budget does it come from and who holds the responsibility? These are organizational and structural structural issues that have to get solved before we're going to really enter the, the, the digital transformation era uh, for sales. And it's not being solved yet. So we still have a long way to go. So to follow that question, if, um, if you sell sales tech, let's say you're out there representing one of the vendors, who are you calling on? Are you calling on the head of sales? Are you trying to get a, a you know pull model where you're getting the reps interested in your technology and asking them to get you know leadership involved? Or are you going to IT? What, where's the where's the right entry point then if you've got something really hot that can help a sales organization? Where do you mm. go? Uh, well, in general, it's a mistake to to try to build up the pull and by going through the sales reps uh, because sales people today still are not yet well and the tools aren't really designed for them to buy right so a lot of it the tools are designed for first of all for instance you have to have your admin you know install it in your salesforce instance or whichever crm that you use so that precludes a salesperson from making a decision to buy a tool uh, or many of them right? they can still buy certain types of tools so anyway that's generally a mistake because it just doesn't work very well um but but that's the dilemma is where do you go you have to go to all all of the above um and whoever you can get to pay attention you get to pay attention and then you you you're going to have to bring in the others as well because the budget will likely come from different parts of the organization and different people will have a say in it so that's a bit of a mess and i i tell companies that can if you can imagine you know, you're not doing a very good job helping vendors help you because you're not giving them a clear path to understanding what your own requirements are 
And a good reason is because you haven't figured those you haven't figured that out. You haven't stepped back and looked at it strategically. So it's difficult. It's very difficult for uh, sales technology companies I to bet. get in there and sell. I would think so because, you know, it is actually easy to sell to salespeople historically. Um, I think marketing people as well. And yet, if you don't have the budget, um, you know, that you got to go create the budget somewhere. Does sometimes that come from eliminating headcount? Like, is that ever the justification that, hey, we'll hire a few less salespeople to fund these tools or technologies? Or does the budget end up coming from outside the department when it doesn't already exist? Yeah, well, I, I think it tends to not come from the headcount because we're still in this phase where we feel like we have enough sales capacity that we can just throw more bodies at, at it. Uh, so as an example, if you've got lots of leads, then people say, well, you know, we've got, we don't have an, or we don't have enough leads as it is for all of our salespeople. So we don't need to automate certain things because we've got a lot of sales capacity. Uh, we're not as it is, we don't have enough leads. And, and so instead of stopping and saying, well, that's all well and good, but what if we reassigned the capacity in a way that automated things so that now we're spending time on higher value activities rather than just throwing bodies at things, then you know that's really where we have to get to. Here, here's, here's one good place where they're getting the money, and that's the mm -hmm. onboarding. If they know that they can bring salespeople up to speed sooner, then later, because it, it could take up to nine months to bring somebody up to speed to get to their first deal. So if you can shorten that to seven months or six months, there's a real cost of or a real return there. No, it makes sense. I got one other question for you. Uh, adoption. So, you know, my experience working with our clients when we roll out things like lead scoring and other sales enablement capabilities we train the sales team. We work with our clients to develop the training materials and we help them train the sales organization. Even in our own organization at DemandGen, we've been hiring uh, some new members to the sales team and our marketing operations uh, manager and other folks in the marketing team train the salespeople on the use and adoption of our sales enablement tools. I'm wondering, you know, sales training's been around forever, you know, whether it's Sandler or whether it's Challenger Sale or all kinds of different training methodologies like you said sales has always known hey if we can increase the performance of our sales team uh we're ideally going to grow our revenue who's taking responsibility for these sales enablement uh training tools are you finding in your clients uh well more and more it's someone with a sales enablement function or title and especially in the larger enterprise accounts you're seeing that there'll be a sales enablement uh, role and that there'll be several people on the sales enablement staff to help with it. That's a clear, you know, clear area, but not everybody has a sales enablement staff. And so the training ends up being done by product marketing. Okay. And they're, you know, are they buying the technology to help with that? Typically not, even though they, they, they could and should be. Yep. Typically it's, they're still holding, you know, kickoff, uh, training sessions or once a quarter get togethers or, you know, where, where you have to remember everything. And if you don't remember it, there's no system in place for reinforcement of the content or to even train or measure to see who is, who is remembering it and who's executing on it. Well, 
So I think companies need to have a sales enablement organization in place, and that's happening more and more. In fact, there's a sales enablement society that I really highly recommend people get involved with. It's really leading the way in terms of making it a, a profession that has a clear mandate and it's giving a place for people that all have sales enablement titles to come together and share information and learn from each other. Nice. And where would people find out about it? They would go to sesociety.org. S-E, salesenablementsociety.org. And it's a nonprofit, and there's chapters in, uh, uh, I think, around 40 countries already in just a year and a half. Great. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've said a few times, your clients, um, just so everybody understands, and I want to connect you with Nancy if you want to follow up this podcast. So Nancy, as I said, runs Smart Selling Tools, and her focus is really helping to evangelize and create awareness for the selling tools that are out there. Um, her clients, if you will, are the companies that make sales technology, and she's working to create visibility uh, for them as an extension of their marketing team and as extension uh, as an advisor to many of these companies. So I'm so mm-hmm. glad we met in, in Arizona, and I hope people uh, look you up and go to your site because it's chock full of you know all the categories you've laid out really nicely. You've got all the different vendors in there and and product description. So hey, folks, if you're in the program and you are in sales, go check it out. You might find, discover some tools that Nancy's got front and center for you, as well as a wealth of other information. Anything we're we're forgetting, Nancy, that we should cover before we wrap up? So I would recommend that people go to the content section on our menu and look for the guide called Building Your Sales Stack, The Path to Revenue Growth. It's a 67-page document, and it's free. And the document takes you through the landscape, and it explains how to think about where you should start given what your own organization's unique position is, where you're at, how sophisticated you're at in terms of technology, what you currently already have versus what you don't yet have. So it's a real clear guide that gives you a fast path to thinking about revenue growth and how to use technology. So that's that's the thing that I would say let's make sure people know about and um, go to go to our site use the videos i do a video every single week it's two to three minutes you can find out about a new tool every week decide whether or not it's something you want to look into we do webinars with with, which are case studies so lots of free uh, content to help you make sense of it all awesome well thank you for sharing all that i have no doubt people go check it out and download the guide and Maybe some folks start watching your videos. I'm so glad we met in Arizona. I'll definitely keep in touch. I think there's a lot more that we can do together. As I wrap up the podcast, one day I was sitting in a conference, and someone said on stage the word RevTech. And they said, you know, I wonder if sales and marketing could get better aligned. And instead of calling it MarTech and SalesTech, we just start calling it RevTech. And uh, Mm -hmm. I found that RevTechs.com was available. So I registered it and I've had it. And maybe maybe you and Scott can do something with that domain someday and bring these two worlds together rather than having them down a bit of separate paths these days. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And, and the, I love the RevTech term. I love the spirit of it. We're a long ways from it um, because I, I don't want the sales side of it to get lost. Um, but we we depend on marketing to help us find the way because you've already got the experience and 
have been through it already. So we're going to need to partner and align with marketing. And at some point, I do believe we'll be talking about RevTech instead of uh, both separately. Looking forward to it. It'd be great. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you are having a good week and a good month. And I look forward to catching you all on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.